Hi, everybody. Wynn Claybaugh here, and welcome to another incredible issue of Masters. And I'm so grateful every single month to be able to find wonderful people to ask them to share their stories, their passion, what they've been through. Uh, and this month is going to be one of those incredible stories. Of course, I'm always on the hunt and I am always asking people to send to me. And I, I literally get dozens of emails every single month from people who said, when you got to interview this person. And so, and this woman, she came up a couple of times. So, uh, and then I think you sent to me the link for a documentary that you did, Blythe, isn't that correct? And I, that yeah. documentary, by the way, was wonderful. Oh, I'm so glad you liked it. Yeah, I was excited to send that to you since it had one of your graduates in it. Oh my gosh, it was great. Wait, I haven't even introduced you yet. Okay, you guys, <laughs> I'm all ready to, to jump into this. So Blythe Hill is the CEO and founder of the Dressember Foundation. I love that, that term that you came up with, which is an anti-trafficking nonprofit organization. Through their annual campaign, thousands of people across the world commit to wearing dresses or ties for the month of December as a way to raise awareness and funding for anti-trafficking work. Since 2013, Dressember advocates have raised $15 million and resourced dozens of anti-trafficking programs across the U.S. and the world. Blythe, that dollar amount, $15 million, does that just blow you away when you hear that? It does. Yeah, it's wild. I'm sure you were hoping, gosh, maybe we could raise $50,000 if I, if I get a bunch of my friends together and we, we try to put this message out there. And now you're $15 million. That's incredible. Okay, you guys, you're going to love this. So Dressember has received press attention from the likes of Forbes, Glamour, InStyle, Good Housekeeping, Cosmopolitan, The Today Show, among others. I love this part. In 2019, Blythe was named one of InStyle's 50 badass women along powerhouse ladies like Michelle Obama, Christine Blasey Ford, Angela Davis, and Gail King. Blythe currently lives in Seattle with her husband, her son, and their dog. Your dog's name is Friday? It is. Okay, who named the dog? Was it your son? No, I named I named her Friday. Why, why that name? That's cute. <laughs> you know, my grandma used to call me her girl Friday, which I guess was a film or a book. I don't totally know. I've never seen the film or the book, but I just loved the name Friday. That's awesome. That's awesome. And okay. So we have to talk about this, that you were named in styles, 50 badass women. How did that come about? What, what does that feel like? And I have a feeling that you are the type of person that all you did was you were passionate about something. You put your head down and you worked and you worked and you worked. And all of a sudden, something like this falls on your lap. Hey, Blythe, we want to name you as one of the 50 badass women. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah, that's that's pretty much how it went down when it was like, yeah, I just, for the most part, I'm head down in the work, trying to maximize the dollars and the impact that we're making. And then something like this just sort of pops in my inbox and it's like, I'm still in shock. It's been three years now. And I, I don't believe that that's actually real. Someone's going to call me and say it was a mistake. <laughs> so how did that play out? Was that a, a spread in InStyle magazine? Did you also, was there a ceremony that you got to go to? How did that all play out? 
Yeah, there was, I think it was the January 2019 issue of InStyle. I'm in there with uh, about 30 or 40 other women that they were spotlighting. And then that summer, so summer of 2019, in a pre-COVID world, if you can remember back that far, I was invited to a dinner in Hollywood where I got to rub elbows with some amazing uh, and amazingly talented celebrities. Um, And I finally got to meet Jennifer Morrison, who's one of our strongest celebrity ambassadors for Dressember and a handful of other really incredible women were there as well. So that was a really, yeah, a really surreal, like pinch me moment, you know? (laughs) Congratulations. That's wonderful. Okay. So we have to jump into this story. So again, I love the documentary. We'll make sure that the information on the documentary, so people can view it as well. I also uh, watched your TED talk and a couple of other interviews that you did. Uh, first of all, you, you speak really, really well. Me, I'm like hyper jumping out of my seat and you're just calm and consistent and real direct with your message, which is is incredible. So the fact that you are now this spokesperson for such an incredible, incredible cause, along with lots of other people, really brings a lot of hope and a lot of peace of mind for me. Oh, thanks, Wen. So jump into this. How did this December thing all come about? Because it, it wasn't so much that you had this aching passion, heartbreak for trafficking. It was a passion for fashion. Isn't that correct? Well, you know, there were a couple of things happening simultaneously. Yes, the lifelong interest in fashion, in style, uh, as a creative outlet, as an expression of identity. I just found a lot of joy and still find a lot of joy in styling and fashion. And so, yeah, Dressember initially was born just kind of on a whim. I thought, you know, oh, this would be a fun thing to do. I'm going to try wearing a dress every day for a month. It happened to be December and I love puns. So I called it Dressember, dresses in December. And then I did it and there was no sort of campaign or cause element to it at all. And then the next year, some of my girlfriends wanted to do it with me. And I thought, oh, okay, they must be kind of bored. You know, they might just humoring me here, wanting to join in. And then the year after that, my friends' friends were wanting to join in. So people I didn't know directly, you know, it was kind of getting beyond my immediate circle. And I joke that I have a lot of bad ideas that, you know, I think it's good to have ideas for the sake of ideas, whether they go anywhere or not. But I joke, I have a lot of bad ideas that never really go very far. And so to see one go beyond my circle of influence and beyond my immediate network, I was like, oh, this is a good idea. I've, I've got to do something with this and maybe I can add a heart and a layer to it. So paint the picture. How old were you? Were you in college when this all happened? Where were you living? Yeah. Okay. I was living in Orange County and I, at this time was in grad school at Cal State Fullerton and was getting my master's in English and was just like, I had no life. (laughs) I was just buried in books and papers and academia. Um, I had very little social time between work and school. I was just maxed out and I really was missing any sort of creative outlet that I normally would go to like baking or knitting or collage making, or, you know, I love very like tactile things. I love using my hands and, and getting creative. And so it just occurred to me like, okay, well, I have to get dressed every day. Maybe that is going to be my creative outlet for this season. 
And um, yeah, that's kind of how it was born, like literally right around the time of finals, (laughs) final season in 2009. Now, so were you posting photos of yourself in a dress every single day for that month? Is, Is that kind of how the word got out? Yeah. So I had a blog at the time on Blogspot blogger. If you're, if you can remember back then I had a modest following, mostly just people I knew in real life, but also some people, you know, you meet, you meet people on the internet in the blog world, we'd follow each other. And I don't know how people found me, but I really, I posted on there because I was already posting. Sometimes I would post outfit photos or things, you know, things I found inspiring things I was making and so for December, yeah, this first, like, okay, I'm going to do this style challenge. I started taking pictures and posting them every day more just to prove that I was doing it because it felt like a feat, you know, like, okay, I'm, I have this idea for a whole month and I'm going to stick with it and here's proof. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think that partially contributed to its growth over the next couple of years is some of the people who were looking at my blog or, or maybe Googling dress Ember as they heard other people talk about it would end up on my blog and see it. So, so how many people were then joining forces with you? Oh, Hey, we're going to do this alongside with you over the next couple of years. Like how many of your friends and you said friends are friends. Yeah. You know, it's, it was a challenge to figure out. I don't know if you had this problem back then, like pre-social media, I had no way of knowing who was following me on my blog. Really. I mean, there's subscribers, but there's always going to be the sort of silent drop-ins that are just, you know, checking in and, and checking your content. So I really don't know the full number of people who were following along or participating those first couple of years until we moved to Instagram. But in terms of my like real life friends, I would say the second year I had about five or six girlfriends do it with me. And then the next year, that number easily tripled, maybe quadrupled. And then at what point did you think to yourself, okay, wait, we're doing this. It's fun. There's a group of us maybe we need to turn this into something more than just something fun, something that is actually, we've created some awareness here. Now we need to put a dollar amount with this. Somehow we need to turn this into a a way of raising money for something that we're passionate about. How and when did that happen? Yeah, I think really in that third year, seeing people like sort of hearing like, wait, who's doing it? I don't even know this person. They're going to commit to a whole month of this. And like, oh, and so is this person and this person, this person, these, all these people I don't know and seeing like group photos and people having their Christmas parties and they're all in dresses. I mean, a lot of people wear dresses to Christmas parties anyways, but they're, you know, they're saying like, oh, of all these people at the party, all these 10 women were all doing dress ember and seeing multiple photos like that pop up and get back to me. I was thinking like, okay, I've really, I've got to do something with this, but I kind of struggled with like, well, well, what, you know, like at that time when we're talking about a fundraiser, a lot of the sort of fundraising challenges and peer-to-peer fundraising was very, um, you know, there were a lot of runs and a lot of walks and, uh, bikes, you know, you could bike long distance or do people were doing like kind of hard things, like impressive things like, oh yeah, I'm going to bike across the country, uh, or I'm going to race for a cure. Even, you know, it's like a distance walk or run. And for this, like, it felt kind of trivial. Like, can I ask people to fundraise or donate for like, the fact that we're getting dressed every day and the fact that we are, you know, doing this hard thing of limiting ourselves to only dresses for a month. 
but what really actually kind of changed my mind about like, oh, maybe this could work is seeing the Movember campaign and the success of the Movember campaign. Are you familiar with that campaign? I'm not. Okay. So Movember is a month of mustaches in November. Oh, you know what? I have heard of this. Yeah. Yeah. Tell tell us about it. (laughs) Yeah. So it's also a fundraiser. I mean, some people just do no shave November, but if you're actually doing Movember and you sign up, people are fundraising for men's health issues and they have raised tens of millions of dollars. And I remember thinking, I mean, even in 2011, I think at that point they had raised $40 million. And I remember thinking like, okay, if, if a bunch of men can grow facial hair and raise millions of dollars, there's a good chance that, you know, some people we can put on dresses and also raise a chunk of money for a cause that matters. And so that really kind of changed my mind and, and started me down the road of, like turning Dressember as a style challenge into Dressember, the campaign and the fundraiser. One of the things I like about your story is that sometimes people think, well, the topic or the issue that I want to shine a light on and raise money and awareness is something that's super, super serious. And Mm -hmm. therefore the whole campaign has to be super, super serious, which sometimes does not really attract people. And I mean, I hesitate as I say it that way, but the reality is sometimes packaging something that is really, really serious, i.e. sex trafficking, slavery, that's a very harsh, serious topic. And what you've done is you've tried to, you've created something that's a bit more attractive, something that's a little bit fun. And at the same time, we're going to enter through the back door and say, gosh, this is the cause that we're raising money for. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think that's, there's a lot of things where I, I, again, I joke that I've been sort of accidentally strategic that like looking back, oh yeah, making this a really fun and easy and hopeful and creative and like light, just the lightness and the fun and the hope we, we lead with those things. And it's by the nature of, you know, engaging through fashion, it's just a fun and creative thing to do. And then attaching it to something really heavy and dark and horrifying, frankly, that people have a hard time engaging with because it's so heavy and the people who are most passionate about it and and most, you know, deeply entrenched in the work, maybe struggle to engage with people for that reason. It's like, you're kind of hitting people with a two by four of information and It can just be really overwhelming when you look at the statistics, the magnitude of this industry of exploitation, really. And so giving people a way to kind of bounce between like some of these really heavy statistics and the reality of what's happening in the world versus the fun and the fashion and the hope. So it's, yeah, it's a really interesting and I think powerful way to package. I like that word that you use, balance the balance between something so, so heavy and dark and heartbreaking and horrifying. And you have to balance that with something that's a bit more light or fun so that we can capture people's attention. Yeah. And I think that's one of the only ways we can sustain good work over time because the burnout rate in the nonprofit world is super high because I think partially because it's just such hard work and it's traumatic and there's secondary trauma facing the trauma of others. And so in order to 
at least this is true for me, in order to stay in a hard space, I think there has to be something fun and light within that space, or at least the way that you're doing it. I just think any way that you're trying to make an impact, it has to be fun. (laughs) There has to be a way that it's fun and enjoyable in order to sustain that over time. That is such a perfect message. You know, what did they say? You have to take your own oxygen first. You know, we can't give what we don't have. And so if we don't have that balance, as you say, then eventually we're not going to be effective at what we're trying to accomplish. And yeah, and some people are are better at it than than others. Like I, I have a friend, and I know you know her as well, uh, Kay Buck, from Cast and based in Los Angeles, the Coalition to Abolish Slavery and Trafficking. You know, you you meet with her, and my gosh, she's just she's lighthearted, and she's. I've often said, I think in a previous life, you played uh, Snow White at Disneyland. You know that she has that lightness about her. But then when you hear her stories of what she has witnessed, what she has been exposed to, I often think, and I've asked her, like, how do you even sleep at night knowing what you know? And I think that it's great for people to understand what they're good at and what they're not good at. I'm really good at raising money. I'm so good at it. I have no problem asking anybody for money. Am I really good at standing at a soup kitchen? I can do that for a little bit, but then I just get so heartbroken and I, I start to break down. And, and there's other people, they could be at that soup kitchen 40 hours a week for the rest of their lives and they're brilliant at it. They can show up for that every single day of the week. And so those people listening to this right now thinking, well, you know, I can't take that topic on. I, I'm not good at that. And And therefore, I'm not good at anything. I think it's important that they hear it from you that Mm. find what you are good at and packaging it in a way where you have that balance, as you said. Yeah, I think that's such a great point. It kind of reminds me of we can just get caught in the trap of comparison or kind of admiring one person's gifts or the way they approach something and then seeing the ways that we kind of lack that or the skills that we lack and think that we must not be good enough or we must not have the power or ability to make an impact. And I think that's, that's such a lie that there are so many different ways to make an impact. And we all have so much more power than we realize. I mean, I remember going into this as a student thinking like, okay, so meanwhile, you know, meanwhile, with the December challenge, I had heard about human trafficking and was incredibly, I've just felt this incredible urgency right away. Like I've got to do something about this. And then almost immediately after that, I felt this brick wall of powerlessness because I thought, well, I'm not qualified. I don't have the resources or the influence or, you know, the money to give, and I'm not wired to go down one of these conventional pathways to engage in this, whether it's criminal justice or social work or, you know, psychology, any, any of those kind of conventional pathways. And so by the time December was growing and I was looking for a way to add a heart and a layer to it, it was a really easy connection for me that like, oh, maybe like finally, finally, this could be my way to engage in this issue that I care so much about and have been looking for a way into. But again, I think if I had stopped at the like, 
okay, well, I'm not qualified. I don't have the money. I don't have the influence or resources, et cetera. So I guess there's just no way. I mean, I did sort of think like, I guess I just, I'll just have to hope that I have a job someday where I can give enough money or like a significant amount of money towards this cause. Like that's the best that I'm going to be able to do. You know, when Um, when I heard you share that story where you're thinking, I'm just a student, I'm super young. I don't even have a paycheck. There's nothing I can do. You know, when you were sharing that part of your story, when I heard you in in other interviews uh, share that, it made me think of uh, a good friend of mine, Seth Maxwell, who started the Thirst Project when he was only 19 years old. Mm. And I mean, today they've now raised over $15 million and brought over 500,000 people in 13 countries, safe, clean water for life. Uh, He was named in in Forbes uh, 30, top 30, under 30. And so, but at that time, you know, how, gosh, I'm only 19. I'm just a student. I don't have a job. How can I make a difference? And you went through that same thought process yourself. And I'm now I'm I'm curious to know about your first exposure to this idea of human trafficking. And what you know, what we know is that human trafficking is one of the most critical human rights issue in our time. It's so widespread with cases in nearly every country around the world. And even though the, the stats are varied, millions of people, including children, are enslaved to work against their will and used as forced labor or trafficked into a commercial sex industry. And so you became exposed to this. Tell us that story of what that was like and the impact that it had on you. Yeah. So around 2005, when I was an undergraduate student, I I really just stumbled on an article about sex trafficking in India. And like I said before, it just stopped me in my tracks. Like, like what, (laughs) what is happening? Um, the idea of like a whole industry, a business model on repeatedly raping and exploiting predominantly women and girls. It just was horrible. It's continues to be horrifying to me. And I just felt this personal urgency to do something uh, that sort of like someone's got to do something about this and I've got to do something about this. And then, yeah, pretty immediately felt like just totally powerless to do anything about it and just overwhelmed by the statistics and the stories and, and kept doing what I could to learn more and to become aware of different organizations that were working in this issue but really took for granted for a number of years, the reason why I feel so passionate about this work. You know, I really universalized the urgency that I felt that like, okay, if people knew this was happening, they would feel the way that I feel, which is stop everything, hold the phone. We've got to, we've got to do something about this. We've got to stop this. And it it took me a few years to make the connection that, okay, the reason this stirs me on such a deep level. The reason that there's this fire inside me that will not go out is because of my own experience of sexual abuse as a child. Um, I was around four or five when I was molested and um, just have had, I had the firsthand experience of the complete havoc that sexual abuse wreaks on a person and on a child in particular, and the, the layers, the, 
the questions that it, it forces you to ask at a very young age. I remember being 12 and wondering like, you know, am I, am I dirty? Am I, am I lovable? Am I, am I worth anything? And, uh, and it wasn't necessarily like a sexual purity thing. It was like, I just sensed deep in my bones that something terrible had happened to me, something wrong. I didn't, I didn't totally understand, like somehow, somehow I was complicit in this and this was my shame to carry and to hide. And yeah, for years, I just, I just wrestled through that. And, and I'm, I look back when, and I'm so grateful because I had access to some incredible resources and literally years, I mean, <laughs> decades at this point of, of therapy and just access to support to, to get through that and to process that. And it, this is what, what fuels my passion for the work is that no one, if I had one wish, if I had a genie in a bottle and had even just one wish, like forget three wishes, just one wish is that no one would ever experience any form of sexual abuse because it is, it's a hellish thing. It's a terrible hellish thing. And so that is, that is what, what compelled me into this work. It's what continues to fuel the fire for me in this work and, and makes it, I guess, just an ongoing, like I have this sustainable passion for me that just, just fuels me in this work is we've got to stop this from happening. And then for people who are currently being exploited, we've got to speed up the intervention time. We've got to get them out faster and people on the other side, we've got to offer them the same level, you know, the same quality of, of resources and support that I had access to because healing is possible. You know, I'm living proof that you can heal and overcome and the trajectory of your life doesn't have to hang on an experience like this. And, oh. um, I'm so sorry that you experienced that. And I, I am grateful that you would share this. And, and the fact that it's now part of your story, as you say, that compels you, it continues to drive you to make a difference in raising money and awareness. So congratulations. Good for you on that. Well, thanks, Wynn. Yeah. And there's, I'd say there's like a number of paradoxical things about the whole experience. I think one is, you know, shame forces you, it forces you to hide, you know, and as someone who experienced sexual abuse, it wasn't my shame to bear, but the wild thing I think is that so many people, so many victims of sexual abuse carry it as if it was somehow their fault. And the last thing you want to do is shine a light on that experience. It just goes against everything that shame is telling you to do. But then the moment you begin to do that, the moment you share with someone you trust, or for me, I mean, on these large stages, the the more I talk about what's happened, the less power shame has over me. And actually I, I feel empowered sharing my story because I know that it's helping other people to see their stories differently. And then another other like crazy paradox is that I, in no way am I grateful for the experience that I went through as a child, but it's pretty wild because seeing the journey that it's launched me on and this, this work that it's compelled me into and, and the incredible impact that we're having, there is this wild, beautiful, mysterious way that I am grateful for my story as a whole, that something so awful has, has really been redeemed 
a million times over. Wow. So you take your personal story and it compels you to throw that into a cause. Um, so dress December is a month of wearing dresses and ties. So how is this translated into millions of dollars in impact programming? So that first year, which I think of raising money, you say that was it the third year of you all wearing dresses that you then turned it into a fundraiser? The third year is when I started to think I should turn this into a fundraiser. And then it was two years after that, that I actually turned it into a campaign. So 2013 was the fifth year as a style challenge, but the first year as a campaign. And how exactly did you raise money? So, I mean, people are wearing dresses. I'm thinking there's probably a couple of guys in there who are wearing dresses too. Is that, is that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We had, I remember, um, a guy in a kilt as well. And yeah, guys putting on dresses. There you go. There you yeah. go. <laughs> so it's very, I mean, day one, it it looked a lot the same as how it looks now, which is just telling people like, okay, commit to doing this thing, you know, commit to wearing a dress or a tie every day. The tie, by the way, we added in 2015 as a way for, it's kind of a choose your own adventure challenge. You know, we're not saying like men have to wear ties, women have to wear dresses. It's like, here's two different entry points, choose whichever one you want and make sense for you. And you can have an impact. Okay. Then how did you turn that into making money? So they're taking photos of themselves wearing dresses or ties. They're posting that. Well, how does the money come in? We tell people it's, I mean, it takes two minutes to create a fundraising page on our website We give different suggested goal amounts based off different impact levels. So if you want to fund a whole intervention, the goal around that would be something like 8,800. If you want to fund like four hours of aftercare therapy, that's around $400. So there's different levels based off the impact you want to try to have, which makes it a really compelling ask if you're then saying, hey, I am doing December. I'm wearing a dress every day for 31 days in December as a way to raise awareness and money for anti-trafficking programs. And I'm trying to raise X amount of dollars in order to have this specific impact. Will you be part of this with me? Will you help me hit my goal? And that's a really compelling ask because often, you know, if you see someone's posts, it's because you're following them or you're friends with them, or maybe it's a family member or a friend. And so seeing someone, you know, doing something like that in this creative and innovative way, often, you know, we want to support the people in our lives. The idea is the people in your life want to support the things that you're passionate about. Ideally, they would also be passionate about them, but it gives them an entry point either way. I've often thought that asking somebody for money is actually giving them an opportunity to make a difference. I, when when yeah. somebody says, hey, when I'm, I'm raising money for this cause, it may not be a cause that I'm passionate about. That doesn't matter. The fact that they ask me and I, I like to respond that way. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for giving me this great opportunity to support this cause that you're passionate about. I think it's an opportunity that we give to people. So, you know, when you ask for money, this is how I approach it. When you ask for money, It's not like, you know, woe is me. I know I'm really bothering you right now. I know this is a real inconvenient time for me to approach you about this, but gosh, could you really please? No, you're giving them an opportunity to feel better about themselves, to make a difference and to approach it that way is a great thing. And so Blythe, I like what you've done. So you've turned this basically very turnkey. 
so people can go onto your website, they set up their own profile. It's almost like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna run 10 miles. Will you sponsor each mile? So every mile that I run, you're gonna give me $10 or something like that. Along those kinds of lines. Yeah, people kind of get creative with how they do it, whether it's if you want to donate a dollar a day or any amount towards the goal. We see a lot of people giving on the first day of the month and then the most people giving on the last day of the month. Maybe, I mean, everyone wants to be the one to get you over your goal line or it could be like, okay, yeah, you really stuck with this. And so I've seen it now and I'm going to donate, but whatever the reason or however people structure it, we've seen a lot of success with, yeah, that model of people saying, Hey, I, I care about this. I want to make an impact. And yeah, I, I would love to invite you into the impact that I'm trying to make like you said. So the first year that you turned this into a fundraiser, how much did you raise that first year? Yeah. So, so I set a goal to raise $25,000, which felt That's pretty aggressive. Yeah. It felt like really ambitious and it was really scary. I was thinking like, oh my gosh, like this could just totally flop, you know, like this could really, I could look really dumb, (laughs) but I remember thinking, if I could help even one person, it's worth looking like a fool to a thousand people. And I, I actually took a dry erase marker and wrote one is greater than a thousand on my bathroom mirror. And I still believe that and remind myself of that, that. Yeah. If you can help one person, if you can impact one person, that's more than the 1000 who would be critical. That, that kind of reminds me, and I'm, I'm probably going to really chop this up, but you know, that story of the, the tide goes out and for some reason it leaves thousands and thousands of starfish stranded Mm. on on the sand and some little kid is going up and down the beach grabbing starfish and you know throwing them into the ocean and somebody says you know what there are thousands out here there's there's no way you can make a difference here he picks up a starfish he throws it into the ocean he says it mattered to that one yeah yeah i love that story and and totally that's totally it and so your goal was 25,000. How much did you raise that first year? <laughs> the goal was 25,000. So we raised 25,000 in three days. Wow. Who, who's we? Who was a part of that? So at that point, so this was the first year that we had a, a way to track how many people were doing it because we had a platform where people registered and we had 1,200 people register across the world. Really? Yeah. Wait a minute. How did you get 1,200 people to register. So I had, I only know like three people. How did you get 1200? <laughs> I doubt that win, but, um, so our flagship partner is an organization called international justice mission. I chose to align with them initially and continue to align with them. They're an incredible organization. They're the world's largest and leading anti-trafficking organization. And I sent a couple emails, really just cold emails where I went on Facebook and I asked, does anyone know anyone at International Justice Mission? And I ended up with three contacts, three email addresses. And I emailed those three people and said, here's my idea. Here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to try to raise some money for IJM and just want you to know, just want you to know about that. And um, that was probably in August of 2013. And they all responded very graciously, like, oh, that's so like, thank you for your support. What a creative idea. Let's, we'll see how it goes, which is kind of what I expected. And then in November, I heard back from one of them 
who, you know, I always tell people, I think it was actually four contacts. I had two people who were kind of like senior vice president level. And then I had two people who were more entry level, like an executive assistant and a writer. And I thought like, oh, this is great. I've got these high level people who can take this idea and run with it. But what happened was the people in the lower level positions were more like my peers and they really, they loved the idea. They saw the potential of it and they were the cheerleaders of Dressember internally within the organization. And so by November, I didn't know this, but they had been talking up the idea internally and they reached back out to me and said, Hey, we told our social media director about Dressember and we've got buy-in here. We are going to, as an organization, we want to help promote Dressember to our audience, which at the time was, I mean, it's even bigger now, but at the time it was like 200,000 people across the world who obviously are very interested in the issue of human trafficking, anti-human trafficking. And can, can, I, can I interrupt you for a second there? Cause you, sure. you, you're telling a really important story and message here because sometimes we say, well, I'm going to put this email out there. And if the president of this organization responds to me, then I'll, I'll do something. And I love this message that you're saying, no, you got the attention of, of someone who was a peer, maybe brand new on your level, but that was enough. You, yeah. you got the attention of somebody and that one person was enough for you to, to move forward and make this happen. Yeah. And it's been a great lesson for me moving forward too, is, well, even when we look at as a nonprofit, like corporate partnerships, I used to think like, yeah, we've got to go to the top and get buy-in at the top. But what is often happening is these corporate giving programs are looking for employee-led momentum. They're looking for their employees to come to them with like, hey, we want to give to X organization or be involved in this cause. And so, yeah, just... I mean, back to the power that we all have, I think maybe a lot of, uh, a lot of people working at the employee level, which is, you know, 95% of us are thinking like, oh, I don't have that much power to make a difference when in reality, like you're the ones that can actually drive a lot of corporate giving. So it's an awesome lesson to learn. You know, in our, in our Paul Mitchell school world, we do an annual fundraiser. And today we've raised over $23 million for a variety of causes, but the average donation, everybody thinks, oh, well, that's because they're getting thousand dollar donations and 10. No, no. Our average donation is like $10. Yeah. It's not the big old checks that come in that, that help us raise $23 million. It's little individual donations here and there. And and to date, I I just have to do this shout out because I'm so proud of our schools. I mean, to date we've contributed uh, $648,000 to the Coalition to Abolish Slavery and Trafficking and other organizations working to help trafficking victims in Cambodia, India, Honduras. So you know, we made this a passion of ours as well. So, and again, the little tiny donations that all add up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, first of all, that is an incredible impact that you guys have made. And I love that yeah, that it's like this movement of of the entire community that you've created, that everyone, like for the most part, you know, everyone kind of has to be involved on some level in, in these smaller ways or, or smaller gift amounts that end up creating this huge wave of impact. And it's been kind of the same at Dressember where, 
yeah, we've raised 15 million since 2013, but it, our average gift size is yeah, around $30. And so explaining to people that like, yeah, you don't, you don't need to be a millionaire to make an impact. Like you get to be part of this community of people that's making a really incredible long lasting impact. I think that's the lie that we tell ourselves is like, well, when I get the promotion, then I'll give back. You know, when I have this much power, then I'll make a difference. And you know what? If you're not giving $5 now at the level of income you have to think that you'll give millions of dollars when you're a multimillionaire, I think is is a lie. You know, who you are today in terms of your giving status. And now's the time that we start practicing that, not not later when we think that eventually we'll have the power and the money to do so. Yeah, I 100% agree. I keep on interrupting your story, though. I'm so sorry, because I I keep on jumping in. Oh, it's okay. I jump in and take over. Yeah. So the goal was 25,000. Tell us what happened. Oh, right. So we raised that in three days, and then we ended up raising $165,000 that first month. Yeah. So then I I thought, okay, (laughs) this is a much better idea than I realized. And it sort of felt kind of funny or like, you know, this like, whether it's God or the universe, sort of like, like, like you're, that's cute, Blythe. That's cute that you thought 25,000 was ambitious. Like there's actually so much more here than, than you realize. And so at that point I filed for 501c3 certification and received that in about nine months after. And, and then we raised 465,000 the next year and then 925,000. And it just kept snowballing and and mounting in our community of, we call our fundraisers advocates. So our, our community of advocates just kept growing and yeah, looking back since 2013, we now, we now partner with 20 organizations across the U S and across the world, including cast who you've shouted out a couple of times. I love cast so much. And I love Kay and I love the work that they're doing with survivors in California, super important work. And so we have this network, uh, the Dressember network of partners across the U.S. And it's a really exciting way to engage in anti-trafficking. I always tell people like when you support Dressember or are a fundraiser for Dressember, you are part of making an impact locally and internationally on a really complex and frankly, like clever criminal industry that morphs and moves. And we have to be more innovative than these criminals who are not brave. They are just opportunists. So yeah, you get to be a part of local and international impact. And then we're also strategically funding programs on every end of this issue. So prevention, intervention, aftercare, survivor empowerment, And we've actually seen a couple gaps in the anti-trafficking program space. So we launched two programs of our own. We launched a survivor scholarship program to provide unrestricted vocational or academic scholarship support to survivors of trafficking. And we launched a survivor justice initiative where we advocate for victims of trafficking who've been criminalized within our justice system, which is unfortunately very common for victims to be involved in crimes, whether it's a violent crime or or robbery or any other number of crimes. So it's heartbreaking. They were forced by their trafficker to commit crimes Mm -hmm. and then are treated as though they are the criminals. I mean, it's, there's so many sides of this story and, you know, you and I are not here today to educate people about all of this. And and I'm I'm hoping that people are inspired 
uh, or driven, motivated to do the research. Because I remember my my journey of when somebody brought this to my attention and I was just like you, um, wait, 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 what? Mm-hmm. T- tell me what is happening. And then, of course, we're thinking, or we believe that it was happening only in third world countries and yeah. to know that it's happening right in our neighborhoods, affluent neighborhoods, right in our own backyards. And those statistics then break your heart again. And so there's lots of very complex side to the story. And I, I want to put that challenge out. And I know that you do as well, whether you align yourself with an organization such as International Justice Mission or CAST or any of the other ones that, that you and I have uh, become familiar with. But do your research, please do your research to understand this incredibly heartbreaking epidemic. But I, I want to ask you, Blythe, about your community of fundraisers, as you call advocates. Tell me about them and who they are and and what they're like. And because I bet you have story after story of similar people who thought, no, I I can't really make a difference. I don't have that power and I I don't have that influence. And yet you've proven otherwise. Yeah, we, I think the community that we've built is truly one of my favorite parts about Dressember, one of the best parts about Dressember. I think it's one of the best things about social media. There there are so many downsides to social media, but one of the best things is just the ability to create and cultivate community through hashtags and through different groups that you can create. And so, yeah, I can think of so many people who have had an incredible impact. I think something that, again, it, it kind of goes back to the senior level versus entry level is even I was... Even with that lesson, I thought, oh, if I can get some celebrities on board with this, if I can get some high up people who have big platforms, they're going to raise so much money. And I mean, they do make an incredible impact. Like Jennifer Morrison, who I mentioned is one of our celebrity ambassadors for December and she does it every year and she raises about $10,000, which is incredible. She has, I think, 2 million followers on Instagram. And then we have someone like, you know, Ruth Ann in Pennsylvania or Beth in in Austin, Texas, or Stephanie in Baltimore, who, I mean, probably around a thousand followers each, you know, normal people going about their their lives like most of us. And they are raising $20,000 a year and coming back year after year. And I mean, we just celebrated Ruth Ann in Pennsylvania because for the at least the fifth straight year in a row, she has led the top fundraising team of about 40 people. And this is Kennett Square, Pennsylvania. Um, so what, what, what does she do? How, did, how does Ruth Ann do that? So Ruth Ann is just this incredible powerhouse who she's incredibly organized. She's passionate. She loves statistics and data. And I think people trust her because she, she's a reader. She does all sorts of book reviews, really thorough, like fun book review. Like she's very analytical, but also very creative. She's just like a fun person. She's become kind of a celebrity in the Dressember world where a lot of people follow her because of, because of Dressember and the impact she's had and the incredible guides she's put together for team leadership And so, yeah, she just has invited, I mean, she's gotten her, a lot of people at her company to do Dressember. She got her company to do a $20,000 match for their team for the last several years. She's just rallied so much enthusiasm and support and 
yeah, it, over the lifetime of her involvement in Dressember, her team, like the efforts she has spearheaded have raised, she has been a part of raising and leading people to raise over $615,000 oh for Dressember. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm looking at your Instagram and I, I see Ruth Ann. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, oh, yeah, you, yeah, you were just there. Yeah. She says, I, I'm a Dressember advocate because I believe that small acts of kindness add up to big impact. I started leading our team in 2015. I love equipping and supporting other advocates to reach their goals and stretch their comfort zones. And advocacy is always better with friends. And then and then some of her supporters, that group that she has created also have wonderful, wonderful quotes as to why they get involved. Um, I invite people to check out your Instagram. Let's see, you're up to 46,000 followers. So I'm sure we'll be over a million by the time people listen to this interview, right? <laughs> if that's your guarantee, <laughs> Lynn, I will run with it. <laughs> That's my guarantee. <laughs> so can I ask you a question? Are there people who are raising money for Dressember and they know little or nothing about the fight against trafficking and slavery? Yeah, I think so. So when we looked at last year's, the people who registered, nearly 50% were first-time fundraisers. So what that tells me is, okay, these people are, well, they, they may not be new to anti-trafficking. They're newer to December. And so their level of familiarity with, with the information, with the issues uh, or with the statistics might vary. So we, I mean, one of the main things we do, like, like Ruth Ann does so well, honestly, we, we draw a lot of inspiration from how she's done it, but we consider it our job to figure out how to make this an easier thing to bring up and talk about and really equip and empower people with information and statistics. We provide 31 days of statistics as social media graphics that people can share throughout December. We do ongoing educational content on our Instagram and on our blog at dressember.org all year. So yeah, education is a big part of what we're doing and it's valuable content, whether someone is deep into the issue of human trafficking or newer to it. Mm. And something that we've been doing a lot of lately is content around some of the, the myths and misunderstandings and sensationalism that we've seen around human trafficking over the last couple of years. And that has been, there's been a lot of engagement with that. Um, Cause I think what often happens is someone will come to dress number with one understanding of what human trafficking is and then we get to kind of gently guide them through, uh, well, this is what it actually looks like. You know, it's, it's not stranger danger, you know, it's, it's right. not kidnapping, it's coercion. It's not often, you know, handcuffs or chains in a basement, it's trauma bonds. And, um, again, these traffickers are not, they're not brave. They're not by and large, um, brazen. They are, they're opportunists and they know the power of manipulation and these like relational manipulation tactics that they use. So I love it that you have also added this uh, level of education for people who want to go deeper with that. But I have a feeling that Beth and Ruth Ann and Stephanie, I bet that they have people who are raising money for this 
and they know nothing about this cause. They they just love Beth, Ruth Ann, and Stephanie. Okay, yeah. Ruth Ann, uh-huh. if you want me to do it, I'm going to do it because I love you and you're fun. And that's yeah. a, that's a great message. That's a great message that you know you don't have to beat people over the head sometimes with the cause or with the issue. Uh, you just say, I'm doing this and I love you and you love me. Can you just do it with me? We just have to ask. Yeah, 100%. So I want to start to wrap things up here. You said uh, something earlier that there's that saying that people say, gosh, this is this is horrible. This is heartbreaking. Someone should do something about that. Mm-hmm. And you you had that same voice in your head as well, correct? Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And what was that challenge? What did that conversation look like to convince yourself? And I'm I'm wondering if you still have to convince yourself of that even to this day after raising $15 million that uh, Blythe, you are the person that can do something about this. Hmm. That's such a good question and such a good call out <laughs> or you're calling me in to, to think that through. I think like we've talked about, we all really undervalue the power that we do have and really underestimate the power that we have, the power of the relationships that we have, the the amount of influence we have with the people directly in our lives. And I think as I saw Dressember growing as a style challenge and started to think like, oh, should I do this thing? Should I, should we pivot and try something different? Could that be a way to make an impact I think so much of what this journey has been about for me and what I try to convey to others is you don't have to go out and start something new or acquire a bunch of skills or qualifications. We have so much right in front of us and it's about using what you already have right where you are to make an impact. And whether it's those relationships or a wildly growing quirky style challenge that you decide to pivot or, you know, any number of things. Um, I've seen people turn jewelry making companies into social impact companies. And I think there are just so many ways that we're still discovering to use what's right in front of us rather than trying to put a square peg in a round hole or whatever that expression is. So yeah, that's a conversation I, I definitely could benefit from continuing to have with myself because yeah, now being however many years into it over 10, you know, well, if you count the 2009 as our start date, yeah, over 10 years on the December journey and nearly 10 with the campaign journey, I think there are things that I continue to wonder or doubt, you know, like, am I the best person for this job or am I when people call me an expert, I still have trouble with that word. Cause I, I'm just a learner, you know, I want to keep learning and I want to serve survivors well with the language that we use and the stories that we share. And I think, yeah, I suppose in a lot of ways that makes me a great person for this job, but there's, there can be some tension there. Right. Well, you know, thanks for being honest and, and even transparent about that. You know, that, gosh, you've had this level of success and yet you still question, gosh, am, am I the person for this? Because mm-hmm. I, I think we have that conversation with ourselves often, especially in the last couple of years between, you know, COVID and the quarantine. And, and you know, I have that side of myself that, gosh, every, everything's on hold right now. Somebody said it's like God put everybody on a timeout, that God sent everybody to their room. 
the whole <laughs> planet, go to your room, take a time out. And, and a lot of people are still kind of on hold. They're, they're still thinking, but here's the deal. Uh, cancer is not on hold. Yeah. Trafficking is not on hold. Children's diseases are not on hold. And so we have to stay in the game. We have to stay, we have to stay active. We have to do what we can do. And I'm just so, so grateful. I saw that documentary and I'm like, I, I need to meet this woman. I need to get her story on my platform because this is someone who absolutely is not on hold. You're absolutely putting yourself out there, even though it's scary, even though you you question your abilities, you're not on hold. Congratulations. Mm, thanks, Wen. I really appreciate the chance to speak with you and share the December story with, with your people. Do you have a final message for our listeners? Um, I mean, okay. Final message is a personal invitation to anyone listening. If you want to be involved in the December community, which is one of the most incredible communities in the world, in my opinion, there are a lot of ways to do so. You can follow us on Instagram. You can sign up as a member of our monthly giving program, the Dressember Collective, which talk about another way to make a huge impact, even if it's $5 a month, allowing us to sustain and somewhat predict our, our operations and impact over the year. And then also viewing the Dressember documentary. It's a 17 minute film with a Paul Mitchell graduate featured as a survivor uh, who's benefited or been within the Dressember network. Yeah, those are probably my top three recommendations. But but most of all, just if you're curious about anything that you heard, just explore explore us more, find out what we're all about. Perfect, perfect. Well, Blythe, thank you so much. I wish you all the success in the world, and I'm I feel fortunate that masters can be part of that platform to spread the word. So, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm I'm going to stick around and and support this as much as I can. Awesome. Thank you so much, Wynn. Have an amazing day. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>